Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Pat Bradley, who's the CEO and founder of Crisis Aid International. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast, and thank you for tuning in and joining today. I'm excited to share my time with Pat Bradley, who's the CEO and founder of Crisis Aid International. And we dig into a little bit more about his faith story and background and some of the challenges, but also moments of redemption and restoration, reconciliation in his uh, his life, his marriage, um, and the, the calling which um, God had had on his life as well, um, entering into this international mission and aid work. And so we talk a little bit more about his latest book, Born for Rescue, about some key moments, um, really transformative stories, um, a testament to God's power, um, transforming changing hearts, um, uh, and, and really transforming areas and communities as you see the impact um, that this organization is really is a vehicle um, for God's grace. And so um, I'm excited to, to share this episode and podcast with you. And so without further ado, let me turn it over to my conversation with Pat. So I have Pat here right now. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And so, um, yeah, as your as the, the title suggested, you know, you've been uh, involved in a um, an international aid and development organization, but also, you know, have been working in missions capacity. And so, would love just to, as we kind of, you know, learn a little bit more about your story for the audience. Just maybe we could take us back into a little bit about your childhood, some of your formative experiences, and how faith um, became part of your uh, your story. Okay. I know that's a lot to cover in, uh, in, you know, but take your time or, you know. Sure. I guess going back to my childhood, I, you could say I was an adventurous child and uh, mm. I believe life was about having fun and great adventures. And so yeah. I wasn't the greatest student and frequently in trouble, but okay. um, nothing real serious. And, uh, but never really took my faith serious. I mean, I, I was born and raised in a Catholic home. My parents were, you know, devout Catholics, mm -hmm. but I really didn't follow that too well, and by the time I was 16, my parents gave up on me and said, you don't have to go to church if you don't want to, and whatever, and so um, kind of fast forward, I graduated from high school, and um, instead of going straight to college, I decided that I was going to work for a year and mm -hmm. kind of see what I wanted to do with my life, and so that year led to tremendous amount of partying, which continued on actually from my high school days. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened was I, at, at one point I had become an alcoholic. And so mm. I had met my wife, we got married. And after six and a half years, I'm just going to give you a short version. There's a little bit longer version in our book that's coming out in November. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were married for six and a half years and Christ or faith was not a part of our, of our marriage. And mm. so... She got tired of my drinking and she kicked me out of the house and divorced me. And I found myself one step away from sleeping underneath the bridge when my parents finally let me back in the house mm. the night that she kicked, kicked me out. So I had to spend a night in the basement of my mom and dad's and it was mm. extremely humiliating. Yeah. But the next day I got up and um, discovered Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. 
and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. They said, if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, it's equal to going to a treatment center. And I didn't want to go to a treatment center, but I was in pretty bad shape. Yeah. And so, um, something happened where it just took. And so I had stopped drinking. And so after about 18 months, uh, after our divorce on a business call, and I, my background is in business marketing, advertising side so of advertising agency with four other partners. Uh, I've been in that industry for 35 years and 2012, I left the industry and full time with crisis aid, but let me go back to, yeah. uh, what happened was, so I was on a business call and I had to go meet a marketing manager hmm. and it turned out that her assistant was my ex-wife. And so I saw my ex-wife for the first time in quite a bit. Of, uh, we did have children, two small children. Let hmm. me say that. And, and, uh, but I never seen my ex-wife. She looked great. And so we had a nice conversation. Um, I went to church with her the next day or the next week and first time I ever been to an evangelical church and it was like 4,000 people in this church and yeah. it freaked me out. And oh, yeah. again, I go into a lot more detail in a book and there's a couple of funny sure. things that happened, but, um, that not that day, but that was a Sunday. So they had a Tuesday night service. And so Tuesday night mm. I went back to that church and I gave my life to Christ. And mm. six months later, God put our marriage back together. So I remarried my ex-wife. Wow. Um, and so God, had, had, wow. when I got saved that night, I went to a bookstore hmm. that was in this church. And there was a book called God's Smuggler. And it's a story about Brother Andrew, who was one hmm. of the first people to go behind the Iron Curtain and come back out and tell the world what was happening with Christian persecution. And I could not put that book down, Tyler. And hmm. uh, I finished it in two nights. And when I was done, I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, if you can ever use me to help people like that, I'm just making myself available. Hmm. That was it. And I, you know, at that point, I didn't know how to pray. I just, just yeah. spoke it to God. And four and a half years later, after that, I found myself on the border of the Soviet Union coming in from Finland with uh, suitcases of Bibles and, and worship materials and smuggling them in. And, wow that kind of started our missions journey. And wow. so for the next 10 years, I did that um, on vacation time with my, you know, from the business world and, and my wife and kids are growing. But yeah. um, in the year 2000, we heard about reports. Now I was on the board of an organization mm -hmm. that dealt with pers Christian persecution and we mm -hmm. were headquartered in Washington, DC. We were getting these reports from Southern Sudan, the atrocities. And so we decided to do a mm -hmm. fact finding trip in February of 2000, we went there, spent two weeks on the ground, and yeah. Tyler and I saw things that I had never seen before in my entire life. Mm. Things that were basically indescribable. Um, and But on the last day of that trip, we came upon a group of people, and we were in the middle of a desert area, hundreds of miles from food, water, shelter, and there was about 70 men, women, and children. Yeah. These were the survivors of an attack on their village the night before. They had no food, no water. It was mm. about 120 degrees and we had nothing to give them. We spent a little time with them. Um, but I remember as we were pulling away, I felt horrible that, mm. that we didn't have anything for them, but we just kind of discovered them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we prayed with them. And as we were leaving, I remember looking over my shoulder and I just heard the voice of God say to me, I'm changing the focus of your ministry. And instantly I knew what he was talking about. I knew he was talking about helping meet the felt needs of people. So I mean, food, water, shelter. Yeah. So I came back home 
it was probably two weeks before I could talk about that trip because of what I seen, what I experienced. So shook me. It shook me to my core. My employees at the agency thought I was losing my mind. My wife and kids thought I lost my mind. I thought I lost my mind. But yeah. looking back on it now, I just realized what I was doing, just processing everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that was the genesis of how we shifted from ministering to the persecuted church yeah. to ministering to Christians being persecuted and, and anyone else living in just right. unbelievably horrible conditions. And so um, February was that trip. September, I took back, went back to South Sudan, partnered with a couple of guys. And our first trip, we took a two-pound bag of rice to 4,000 people. Hmm. That's all we had. And at the end of that trip, I didn't. I thought that would be the end of it. Yeah. Little did I realize that that was the beginning of something new. Hmm. And so Crisis Aid was birthed from that. And that trip led to several more. And then it led to Afghanistan several weeks after 9-11. And we found our anointing was really to work in war zones and real high-risk areas. Hmm. Where God had called us to do what we could. But... Mm -hmm. The primary goal for us at that point in time is like to help people, but also to demonstrate the love of God. Because mm -hmm. we learned, we found out that in showing people that we care and helping them in a, in a, in a way that you're like, for instance, hungry people, you're giving them food, yeah. you're showing them, you're demonstrating the love of God to them. And then their hearts open to you. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was our anointing. That was our calling. And yeah. um, 20 years later, we have grown substantially. We've worked in 11 countries helped over 3 million people yeah. involved in feeding. We built pediatric hospitals, orphanages. Uh, we're very much involved in the sex trafficking work uh, here in the United States as well as overseas. It's mm -hmm. kind of a nutshell of crisis aid. Yeah. No, well, thank you. you need, um, no, very, very helpful. And thanks for sharing. And um, I was thinking about your story as well. And I, it resonated. I, yeah, I was loosely in, uh, involved um, with a Catholic school when I was younger and, you know, would go to school and would attend a mass and nothing really stuck or clicked until I was invited in college to um, an evangelical student-led ministry organization. And at first, you know, was very skeptical. And um, I thought it was a cult at first. I was like, what is this? What is this nonsense? You know, what is this? What is this? I don't, you guys are speaking. And, you know, there was a little Christianese there. So that was, that was beside the fact. But there was something weird and really powerful that was happening and people were in really in this, this were really passionate about God. And I was like, wow, I've never seen this. <laughs> and, um, at least from my experience. And so, you know, that was a little bit of the genesis of really, you know, when God, when I came to, came to faith in Christ my freshman year and then really just hearing from you as well. I'm just hearing these moments of power and God's, really this, this reconciliation restoration in your marriage, which is amazing testament to God's grace. And then moving forward as well as these moments, powerful moments of clarity, God communicating to you and really, you know, making it clear, um, what the, what the new direction is, which was like, it, it's just, it's almost mind boggling. Like I, that's the thing I, the, the way that you described it, I was like, wow, that must've been such, so different from what you thought the future was going to hold or what was going <laughs> to, things were going to look like. And then, um, really got intervened in that moment as well. And so um, really encouraged and I'm um, hearing this uh, theme of rescue. And I know that your new book involves rescue. So would you just maybe share a little bit more about, um, yeah, so the book is coming out November 1st as well. Um, mm -hmm. I know. So we're, by the time this podcast airs, it'll be right around that, right around that time. Um, 
but really just I know you share some uh, some some of these moments um, across the world. So kind of some key moments, key stories. Would love just to can can you just give us a look, maybe a story or two um, sure. that's in, that you're sure. can you think of as you uh, as you wrote this book? Sure. Um, well, it's called Born for Rescue, and the title is yep. really it's kind of twofold in its meaning. In that, so I was born. I me I was born to be rescued by God. And I believe we all are born to be rescued by God because we do have to accept mm-hmm. Jesus. But it helps put me in a position in my mind, Tyler, that I was literally helpless. Mm-hmm. You know, anything to help my eternal situation, but not even that, even before that, to help the situation that I was living in currently. I didn't realize how empty life was. I didn't realize how, um, just how I was going through the motions, but there was no meaning in my life. And, and, yeah. I needed to be rescued, but also in the process, it's, it's a ministry, you know, it's like, we also have a ministry of rescue to mm-hmm. rescue people from yeah. going to hell, Yeah, to help people, to help whatever we can, whatever we see. I mean, like Jesus said, and in, in Matthew, I think it's 25, 40, he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do yeah. for me. Yep. Now before that, he, he you know he talks about prison and sick and that and other and I'm you know yeah. hungry and clothing, but at the bottom, at the end of the statement, he says, "But whatever you do, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me." Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is by doing acts of kindness and helping other people, is we are demonstrating the love of God to them, mm-hmm. and that is what I think the world is really looking to see. Our ministry is not a ministry of um, you know, like a pulpit ministry, or we don't do mass crusades or anything like that. We're more just one on one. Let my uh, let my actions prove my love, and then I know your heart is open. And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the stories in the book, and the book's got a lot of stories in it, but um, yeah. one of them is we were, it was a Saturday afternoon, and we were in a capital city in in East Africa of a nation. And I can't really go into detail which one it sure. is because of government issues. But this guy we were talking to has this ministry to homeless kids, street kids. Mm. And clear as, as clear as I'm hearing your voice, I heard the voice of God. And I was, well, back then, I wasn't sure, but it said, ask him about prostitution. Mm. And it was such a strange, like, okay, where did that come from? And uh, <clears throat> I had a friend of mine was with me. Yeah. And so I just kind of ignored it. And it happened, came back a couple of minutes later. Like I said, ask him about prostitution. So I just blurted out. I go, pardon me. I just need to ask you about something. Can you tell me about prostitution? And he looked at me like, what? It was funny because he yeah. was talking about what he was doing. And, you know, to be just, and, and he's a Christian. And so tell me about prostitution. Anyway, he tells me about this red light district. And he said, you know, it's, right. it's, just horrible and he explains what it looked like and I said can you take us down there tonight and he said sure if you really want to go so we decided yeah we want to go so I went back to the hotel um, mm. had dinner and, and uh, changed clothes and I had called my wife and she said what are you doing tonight I said well we're going to go down and hang out with the prostitutes in the red light district and she said uh, pardon me <laughs> you sure you want to be telling me that when you're on the other side of the world telling your wife you're going to hang out with the prostitutes? And I'm like, uh, yeah, but you know what I mean? So she understood because I had a heart for something like this. And so right, right. we went down there 
sure enough, when we are walking, um, I heard a friend of mine put it like this. This is the closest to what the world would look like if there was no God. Hmm. To me, it's just pure hell on earth. And these girls live in these little rooms that are six by eight feet. They're tin shacks and they one after the other. And there's thousands of them, literally thousands. No running water, very little electricity, stinks to high heaven, no you know, open sewage. Um, a place as dark as you could ever imagine in your wildest imaginations if you've never been to somewhere like this. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, we um, struck up a conversation. There was a group of like five, four or five ladies. We walked up, we started talking to them. Now we had interpreters. And we went and uh, so... We were the first white men that had ever been in there, is what they told us. Um, and I believe it because where it was and what I saw, I have yet to see any white men in there. And I've been in there now since 2006. Mm -hmm. So that many years, we just don't see it. Mm -hmm. So we start talking to these ladies, these girls, not ladies, girls. And it was getting like, because we were there, it was a lot of people coming around. And so we mm -hmm. went in one of the rooms and it was a tight fit. Um, and long story short, we had this conversation and we talked to him about God has a much better plan for your life. And remember, I'm not, I'm going in there. I have no idea what I was going to do. Yeah, yeah. No plans, just to go see. And now we're having a conversation with five of them. And I won't go into a lot of the detail because it's it's in the book and I want people to get sure, the book. Sure. But um, long, story, real, long story short is we walked out of there that night with one girl who whose pimp wasn't there, we're walking out of the Red Lake District with this girl not knowing what we were going to do. We just asked, are you, and she gave her life to Christ. We baptized her in the, in the middle of this Red Lake District. And I asked her, are you, can you leave tonight? And she said, yeah, I can because my pimp isn't with me tonight. I'm like, oh, wow, go get your stuff. And so she came back later. About 10 minutes later with a shopping bag, like a Walmart-sized shopping bag, and it was filled with the worldly possessions. And on the way out, found out that she was 16 years old that had been there for four years and had no surviving family members. So there was a 16-year-old girl who started when she was 12 and no family. Wow. And now, she, now she's walking out with two white men, two total strangers. We couldn't even talk their language. We had to talk to our interpreters. And we had no idea what we were going to do with her at that moment in time, but God did. Hmm. God had a plan. And fast forward now, we've helped over 2,000 girls hmm. uh, who are either high risk, becoming high risk victims of trafficking or over trafficking victims themselves. Right. Wow. Wow. And I've had a few folks on Exodus Road and some others who are doing, who do trafficking, uh, trafficking work and are in sex trafficking. And it's, um, the numbers are really eye opening. Um, of how many um, people, a lot of women who are trafficked across the world. And so thank you for the, the work that, that you're doing and, and um, serving the least of these, as we're called. And um, I certainly have a heart for it. I, I'm, I serve with an organization and we help to meet the physical needs. And we do that. Yeah, a lot of folks who don't have a home, many of whom are, have been addicted to, you know, uh, the growing um, rise of of uh, of drug use and overdose and addiction is, is, is pretty catastrophic in at least the United States, but I think in other parts of the world too. Um, and so, you know, certainly can, uh, this gets, this, this is, you know, something that's certainly more acute to myself, but hope listeners are, um, are engaged as well. And so born for, so born for rescue, um, K 
can you just kind of, you know, so I know you've been in Africa and done some work in Afghanistan. What kind of is the global presence that you all have? And um, yeah, we can start there, I guess. Well, presently, uh, well, so we've worked in 11 countries since we started. Okay. And so our, our initially our first type of work was just working in crisis situations, for instance, like in a war zone and where natural disasters. But um, mm. as we started working in this, um, I'll just say Ethiopia, I saw, and I, here's what happened, Tyler. I saw an internet headline in July of 2003 that said, 14 million Ethiopians at risk of death by starvation. Hmm. And the second I read that, I knew that I knew that I knew that God said go. Hmm. And I had enough experience over the last couple of years yep. to just trust that. And so 30 days later, I showed up with a yellow post-it note with a phone number in the capital city, and that's all I had. Wow. Not knowing who this number was to. And so I called it, yeah. turned out to be the development okay. wing of a church. Uh, that was doing thing a large church denomination there, and so led on a, a six day. We went around six days in a bush looking at the famine that was going on, and and that's how we got started in, yeah. in Ethiopia. And as the years go by, our work now has really grown substantially in Ethiopia yeah. to the point where that we're either working in Ethiopia now or we're working here in the states. Okay, and so, but we have worked in Indonesia and. Um, Pakistan, like you said, Afghanistan, North Korea, Haiti, and a couple other places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I, I don't know, I'm sure folks have caught on the kind of the moment for you of when you first started to get involved and started to um, kind of respond to God's calling. But for folks who have, you know, who are maybe sensing something from God and or this really this call to to go out and serve in, in a capacity overseas or domestically to serve the list, uh, least of these, what are what would be some advice you'd give for them? I'm, I'm sure you hear this question often. I do. In fact, it's, it's really simple. It's that um, we don't have to have a call from God because we already have the call from God to help other people. That's already been placed. And when we become saved, when we give our life to Christ, we're not only giving our life to Christ for eternal purposes, but also to do good works because the Bible says we were created to do good works. Yeah, yeah. Now I heard it said that there's about 2,700 verses in the Bible that deal with poverty and injustice. Mm -hmm. Just those two. Yeah, yeah. If you take one of those verses and build your life around it, you will be at the center of God's will for your life because it's in his word. It's in his Bible. Yeah. But more, what I find more people don't realize is the answers are already in your heart mm. and in Sometimes it's, it's, we, so many people would ask me, you know, I'm just waiting to hear from God. I'm waiting to mm. hear from God. Um, and I think people use that as an excuse to say, stay in the church pew. Mm. And so my response is really simple. It's like, you know, God has already answered. Look to your heart, look to where he speaks to you and see what is that yearning in there. And if you don't know, then turn around and help the first person you see. Yeah. And just yeah. keep taking the next step, the next step. But so often we want to have our plans laid out before us and, you know, this is God's will for your life. And it's going to be, you know, boom, 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 boom. Then I don't, I've never met anybody that it worked that way and it surely didn't work that way for me. But right. I will tell you this much, it's been yeah. the greatest adventure I've ever, could have ever imagined. Um, and so I yeah. just tell people, it's, it's already there. You just need to get up. Yeah. They say, I'm waiting, I'm, the light is red. I'm waiting for a green light. 
And my response is, you know what? The light is green and you just need to take the next step and trust God to guide you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And I just was thinking about the Good Samaritan as well. And right, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan and several people walk by and where do we find ourselves in that? Right. Yeah. Who, who are we? And I, at some point, we're a little bit of all of them, uh, all the different people who walk by and the responses um, that they give. And so that's well, good. Yeah. And so, it, so there is a there's a call and a command and it's it's right there in the moment. Right. There's no. Uh, so I think that, you know, in that those moments of you just you sense it and you just ask about it. Okay, tell me about prostitution or tell me <laughs> tell me about that. And you just respond <laughs> in the moment because, you know, obviously you want to have a sound mind when you ask it, but you know, or that, that really that prompting, um, to just go and, and move forward in it, um, uh, because it's already been, you've already been blessed to do it. You've already been called to do it. Um, yeah. and it's just a good work that we're bringing to it. It's God's going to bring to its fulfillment and completion. And so thank you. And, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to kind of a bigger question in terms of, you know, international response, aid intervention, how, how are you seeing things now compared to a few decades ago? I know you've been involved here in 2012. So I guess maybe just in the last 10 years, what is kind of the bigger scale perspective of, you know, of doing this type of crisis work? How has it changed today um, from what it was 10 years ago? Um, for one, the, the needs are growing in the world. And I mean, we hear about the economy here, yeah. but what people... What I see overseas way more than I see here is like, for instance, the middle class is disappearing. So in this African country that we work in, inflation is so high and has been rampant for 10 years. And to see the effects it has on the everyday citizen mm -hmm. who, are, who are struggling now mm -hmm. and their jobs aren't there. So the economic conditions are just creating a greater need and a greater need. But what yep. we find too is in that need, in that need, people's hearts are open, and if you can help yeah, them, yeah. they're open to hear to hear what the gospel is about, yeah. to understand, you know, to ask the question, well, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So it's it's hard to say, you know, what do we like on a global, because to yeah. how I see things, the needs are so great. It's like, okay, where has God got me focused, and I need to focus on this at this point in time. But um, yeah, yeah. I also think we see more people open to the message of the hmm. gospel than they've ever been before. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, a, I guess it's the sovereign act of God, but in very remote places in Africa, I mean, places that have no electricity or running water. I mean, you talk about remote 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was, there wasn't that openness to why, what, tell me what's going on. I have questions inside. What, what is this? What is it you're here for? Yeah. We didn't always hear it that way. And we're seeing, you know, we're kind of seeing that now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, I'd agree. And, and yeah, and I think it makes sense. That's what I've been hearing too, at least working in ministry and people are very receptive or more spiritually aware and are asking questions. There's a curiosity, I think is the word I like to use. Um, but also there's, there's a lot of needs and the gap is growing and there's, you can get overwhelmed in that, I think is what I'm hearing from you. But like there is certain things just prioritize on and, you know, there's yeah. the, the lane that you're in and know the lane that you're in and that comes with time, but you know, just to right. not get too overwhelmed. And so, yeah, that, that would, that's, that's a good encouragement. 
Um, just to wrap things up, uh, you know, where can folks find you, Born for Rescue, you know, anything else about Crisis Aid um, as well? Sure. Uh, you can order the book. You can go to bornforrescue.com. Yeah. Take you to a landing page and, and it'll link you to uh, how to order the book, which I'm told is shipping on November 1. Yeah. And then you can learn a lot more about Crisis Aid on our website at crisisaid.org. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's been a joy and uh, a privilege really having you on and hearing some stories, um, some advice and just, um, yeah, really just an encouragement into uh, the calling we already have um, in our lives. And so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Tyler. I really appreciate it.